Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. is free every Thursday at podcast1.com and Apple Podcasts. Appreciate you checking it out. If you are listening in the USA on post day, a very, very happy 4th of July to you, as it is indeed a holiday here in the U.S. And hope you guys have a great happy 4th, whatever you end up doing, and make it a safe one as well. I'll never forget the 4th of July when I was a kid. When my uncle blew off his thumb with an M80. Don't let that happen to you, folks. He's still scarred from it all these decades later. So enjoy the 4th. If you are listening in the U.S., a great American holiday and hope it is a great one for you. Great to be with you for another podcast for the week. And as usual, the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originate and happened on my Sirius XM radio show, which is heard live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on volume channel 106. And those shows replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and also are available in their entirety on demand on the Sirius XM app. Get a little taste of what I do. On a daily basis on Sirius XM here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. If you're in the U.S. or Canada where you can subscribe to Sirius XM, I hope you come on board. Everybody else who is outside of those countries, of course, you can't get satellite radio, but you get a little taste, like I said, of what I do each and every day on the radio in the U.S. So some appearances, let me tell you about them coming up because they're getting here quick. July 19th, I got a speaking gig Going to be doing some speaking Q&A shows. July 19th is the next one. It's at the Stanhope House in Stanhope, New Jersey. Also have one in Janesville, Wisconsin, July 26th at the Back Bar and in New Bedford, Mass, September 6th at the Vault Music Hall. Also, uh, August 17th, I will be in Houston, Texas, hosting Tom Kiefer at Warehouse Live. You got Sammy Hagar's High Tide Beach Party, September 28th and 29th in Huntington Beach. 
and also Manchester, Tennessee, exit 111, October 11, 12, and 13. And don't forget about the big mega cruise going out October 13th through 18th. Megacruise.com for more information there. Punta Cana, Dominican Republic, Breathless Spawn Resort for 80s in the Sand. And that, of course, is going down November 2nd for a week. Everything is on the homepage of eddytrunk.com. And be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at eddytrunk, fan page on Facebook, and also eddytrunk.com, the official online home. Music news updated daily. Become an all-access member of that website, and you can listen to my terrestrial radio show on demand. A lot of good stuff there for you to check out the blog, which is the Trunk Report. It's all there for you on eddytrunk.com. Hey, before we get to the podcast and uh, before we get to our interviews, and we got two great ones for you this week, I want to tell you about Arm & Hammer Cloud Control Cat Litter. So my cats, Leo and Maddox, love my cats. Became a huge cat person, huge cat fan. Had three up until recently when one of them passed away, but still got my two cats. I mean, it's so much fun to have cats. Their personalities are so unique relatively maintenance-free, all the different markings a cat has, all the different personalities and ways they have about them. It is just, uh, they are just wonderful, wonderful animals. If you have cats, you know that is absolutely the deal. But what everybody who has cats doesn't love, well, that's cleaning up after them. I mean, keeping a tab on the litter boxes of Leo and Maddox can be quite a chore sometimes. And that's where Arm & Hammer comes in because Arm & Hammer has created new cloud control litter. There's no cloud of nasties when you scoop, and that's really important. Before the litters I had, you used to see a film of the dust. It was on furniture. It was in curtains. It was just awful. Cloud control litter is 100% dust-free. It's free of heavy perfumes, and it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box, and that's exactly what you want. New cloud control Cat Litter by Arm and Hammer. More power to you. Okay, so two interviews, about an hour worth of interview content on this week's podcast. So I'm not going to mess around. I want to get to it as soon as possible. First, I will serve up to you an interview that made a tremendous amount of news a couple weeks ago. You probably read about it. And it was a big newsworthy interview. And that is with a guy who I absolutely love. One of my favorite people to talk to and to know personally, Michael Anthony of Van Halen. And Michael Anthony made enormous news. He called in to my show to talk about a charity walk that he was doing and then dropped the news that at the time he was supposed to be in rehearsals with Van Halen. And when I tell you that news blew up all over the world, it blew up all over the world. You'll hear that interview and how it all unraveled first. Then second, a guy that actually is in a band from time to time with Michael Anthony, guitar great Joe Satriani. Joe's got something interesting going on where he had a band in the early 80s that was sort of like a new wave band called Squares that he has decided to officially release music, uh, the music from. So Satch and Squares, uh, that's Satch and Squares. The band is just called Squares, but it's a trio. And it's a really interesting look into a guy who, of course, has become a master and legend of guitar, but his earliest formative years. And it's an interesting conversation that I just did with Joe about why he decided to put this music out 
decades later, what his memories of it are, and what his hopes are for it by releasing it now. Joe Satriani, also always great to talk to. These, uh, it didn't in, I didn't intend for these guys to call in. Uh, this happened in the same radio show. I didn't intend for that to be the case. It just kind of played out that way. Of course, Michael Anthony's main gig is with Sammy Hagar in the circle, and Satriani continues to do his own thing. Although you will hear in the Satriani interview that they're, you know, he's entertaining the idea of doing a, a new supergroup of sorts, which you'll hear about in the interview. So first up, Michael Anthony, about a 20-minute interview, and, and just listen how it unfolds because I had no idea this was coming, but he gave me some major, major news, and then a more lengthy interview with Joe Satriani talking about a bunch of stuff, including his reasoning behind releasing music nearly 40 years old recently from the earliest part of his musical career. That's what's going on on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Once again, I want to thank Armin Hammer. Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter, and we thank them for sponsoring today's episode. There is no cloud of nasties when I scoop. It is 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, and it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. We will come back and kick it off with Michael Anthony on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. It was a crime no one expected, and one many can't forget. They were brutalized, and we saw the evidence of that. 22 Hours, An American Nightmare, a new podcast from WTOP News and Podcast One, details the heinous murders of a D.C. power couple, their 10-year-old son, and housekeeper inside their own home. The complicated trail of evidence. She thinks she knows how Darren Wint got inside the house. Oh my God, I saw Amy yesterday. And shocking moments from the trial. His defense team drops a bombshell. Will this investigation lead to the release of confidential audio recordings from the case? So it's under general counsel review. I mean, I'm committing to making a transparent court. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts today. Eddie Trunk back with you. As I mentioned, two big interviews on this week's podcast for this special 4th of July edition. Michael Anthony up first, followed by Joe Satriani. Here is Michael. And again, listen as he drops major news about what would have potentially been a huge deal with Van Halen rehearsing for a tour, which is now, for reasons unknown, not happening. Here is Michael Anthony. Enjoy. How are you, buddy? Eddie, I'm doing great, man. But but don't say we're we're just here to talk about the walk because I know you want to talk about some other stuff too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to take care of the important Come thing on, because the walk the but the walk is important, man. I mean, I know that's it near is, and dear it, to it, your it, heart, and I want to make sure that's important. taken care of and that you get that you know get that word out about that. That really was the reason I reached out to you. And and for people that don't know about that, Michael, give everybody the the story because it's it's tragic. Your 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 grandson passed away, and you do this to raise money for the hospital, right? Yeah, yeah. We our grandson Rex Michael. He was born in uh, uh, March March twentieth of two thousand seventeen, and he was born with a congenital heart disease. And immediately we sent him to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And for you know. People, I, a lot of people hear about the children's hospitals, but, uh, boy, you really don't understand or, or, or see just the, the work and how deep they work with, with kids and families until you're thrown into a situation. And, unfortunately, uh, 
our our grandson did not make it from his illness. He he lived for two weeks, two great weeks that we got to spend with him. But uh, it really uh, sparked my interest in Children's Hospital, and ever since now I've been doing what I can to help donate for the hospital because they do help a lot of you know families that it's basically families that that don't have finances and they don't turn any kids away. So it's it's a great thing. So give people the details on the walk and how they can get involved, or even if they're not in California, how they can help. Is there a page to donate? Uh, let everybody know what they can do to get involved here. Okay, well, the the walk is this Saturday on the 22nd, and uh, it starts in at uh, 7.30 a.m., and there's all kinds of festivities that they got going on before that. In fact, I just uh, told them that I, I'm going to be getting up and jamming a little bit with the School of Rock Kids in L.A. that are going to be there. So I'm going to get up and, you know, they're going to put me through my paces, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but they have they have sports people there. Uh, Justin Turner from the Dodgers is actually going to be there. He's, he's one of the uh, uh, the hosts of the, of the thing. So and they got uh, people from uh, uh, they got uh, people from the Ontario Fury soccer and uh, L.A. Kings. There's going to be a couple people there and from the L.A. Chargers. So they, they got all kinds of stuff going on. And then the walk actually starts at 930. And it's basically it's about a two mile walk. But it's, it, it all goes around Exposition Park in Los Angeles. And uh, obviously it's to raise money. And if, if people uh, people that are out here local, you can still register to uh, walk. In fact, you could go the morning of the walk and register to walk. And uh, if not, if you'd like to donate, because we, uh, we have a team called Rex and the Heartbeaters that we formed in honor of my grandson. And uh, I've got a, uh, a page, actually, uh, on my Facebook page, Mad Anthony's Cafe. Uh, there's a write-up with a link to where you can donate through me. And anybody who follows or wants to follow me on Instagram, there's a link in my bio there also. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great thing all the way around. And the day, though, is to celebrate the hospital and just, you know, celebrate all the kids that, that do make it. And uh, it's a great family uh, morning. And, you know, last last time I had you on to talk about this, my, my friend Doug Burgess in Tulsa, I know he made a big donation. And mm-hmm. another guy that made a big donation that really surprised you was was David Lee Roth. I remember we talked about that. You had not even heard from him, but he was like, you know, he gave you a bunch of money towards this uh, last year, right? Yeah, I hadn't even I hadn't, I hadn't talked, spoken to him in I don't know how many years. And I see this because it comes up on my on my uh, mobile phone when a donate, donation is made and who makes the donation. And it came up David Roth, and I'm thinking, no, it can't be. And it was you know a ten thousand dollar donation, which is no small donation. And so I actually uh, did not get a hold of Dave himself, but uh, he made the donation through. I guess it must have been his business manager. And so I had their email, and I emailed back and asked if. You know, I'd basically saying, hey, Dave, is this you? It's Mike. And, I, you know, if it is you, I'd really like to uh, – well, I'd like to thank you anyway, but, but if it is you, I'd like to, uh, to talk to you and just say hi. And uh, uh, his business manager, whoever had, had sent the donation, and they emailed me back and uh, said that Dave said, you know, that uh, he'll be in touch. And, uh, you know, we actually have, <laughs> have yet to speak – but uh, that was it was very a generous and very nice thing for him to do. So for people that are not in Southern California, can't be involved in the walk, but they'd still like to help, the best thing for them to do would be to go to the Facebook that you have for Matt Anthony's Cafe, and the link to donate in Rex's name is there? 
Yeah, there's a link that'll take you directly to the donation page, and it'll say join Michael's team, and you can send a donation, and it goes straight to our team, and then obviously goes straight to the hospital. Uh, that's great stuff, man. It's great that you do that every year. It's becoming an annual thing for you, and it's obviously for a great cause. So it's good that we get the word out on that, and I wanted to be sure we did that. You know, I just hung up with Joe Satriani. He was on with me minutes before you came on. He, yeah, what did he have to say? Anything about a chicken foot reunion or he's, what? He's still looking for one, man. He still wants one. He's like, you know, I got to – he goes, he's, he's – looking for work right now probably, right? Well, he just put out – the reason why he came on is he put out – he's putting out music from a band that he had – in like the early '80s, that never came out, oh, like a new wave oh, pop yeah. band. Right. What was their name? The Nerds or the The Squares? Uh, the Squares. The Squares. Yeah. I knew it was something nerdy like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's doing that, and he's going to do another run with Experience Hendrix. And I, I said to him, I go, you know, this is an old band yet in the early '80s. I said, did you? Would you like to, uh, you know, maybe be in a band again? He goes, well, if I can ever get Sam to do Chicken Foot, I think I have a band. I said, well, I think Sam is the whole key to Chicken Foot here, you know. But right now, Sam, we're all excited about the circle and what the circle's been doing. But I yeah. would definitely be all in for uh, a Chicken Foot reunion. We, we never even got to Chad, never even got to tour with us behind the second album because, of course, the Chili Peppers got busy. And so Kenny Arnoff did it yep. with me. And uh, speaking of Kenny, by the way, Joe did. I spoke to, to Joe and Kenny, because them two and Doug Pinnock are doing the Hendrix thing, and right. and they said they're having a blast doing it. So I I guess anybody who can catch that show, I'm going to try to catch it somewhere, uh, should go out and see it. I saw it in New Jersey. It was great, and that was the other thing that Joe said to me in the interview just now. He said that he's going to get together with those guys and maybe start to think about making original music, but he said the challenge with that was the same challenge you guys had with Chickenfoot. You wanted it to sound unique and not like everybody's respective bands, so... Uh, right. You know, that's that's what he said he's going to work on and feel out a little bit. But it looks like he's going to try to take that a little further and maybe kind of do a power trio with those guys, which would be great. I mean, playing the Hendrix stuff was killer. I saw it. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. You know, Doug's a great guy, great bass player, great singer. I'm, I'm a good friend of his. And uh, yeah, and Ken, Kenny told me that uh, it, it was great. Yeah, it really was. So the other thing, and I, I I only have a few minutes here, but the other thing I wanted to ask you, you know, apparently, speaking of Roth, apparently he... Oh, too bad, Eddie. I had all kinds of stuff I wanted to tell you about that, but well, we only have a few minutes. Well, I, I got about I 10. <laughs> I, I got about 10 before I have to end, and then there's always tomorrow. <laughs> But but Roth has this. Go ahead, Eddie. I'm 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 here. I'm here to talk about anything you want to talk about today. Well, Roth has this podcast, and I haven't heard it, but I had callers calling me yesterday telling me that he said he was getting together to meet with the brothers about some things. Well, you know, I saw there's a couple of Van Halen fan sites that I actually go on and read. There's one called the Van, the Van Halen VH Links, and another one called the Van Halen News Desk. Right. Which is, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I thought I think I saw it on Van Halen News Desk. He was in now. He recently did some kind of a. He was involved with some dance or techno mix of Jump that some DJ did. Yeah, did you hear it? Yeah, I, well, I heard. Yeah, I heard. I saw a video of him in Florida where yeah. they were premiering yeah. it. I think. <laughs> yes. What'd you think of that? Oh well, about the same reaction you just had right there. <laughs> <laughs> he had a nice jacket on. Yeah. If you're going fishing. <laughs> But I guess I guess they took this thing over to Europe. I read. Uh, I went over to the Van Halen news desk, and it shows a little clip of some interview that he did, where he was saying that he was going to go. They were asking him about new music or touring or anything Van Halen re- going on, 
and he said he was going to be meeting with the with the Van Halen brothers the next week to discuss stuff. Mm. And then I and then it, and then it sounds like he started kind of backpedaling and uh, realizing what he said. He didn't want to get himself in too deep on anything. I guess I don't know. Yeah, what's interesting is he's done a couple of interviews because he's selling this tattoo cream that he he made this company that's selling tattoo cream. And, you know, in both in two, three, the two, three interviews he's done, nobody has asked him or he has nobody's even asked him about Van Halen, which tells me one of two things. Either the interviewers aren't doing their job or they were told in advance you can't ask about Van Halen. As there's always this cloak of secrecy about, you know, around the, the band. But uh, he, him saying he's meeting with the brothers, but is it still radio silence on your end? You've heard nothing. I've heard, I've heard nothing, Eddie. In fact, we just, you know, we just came off our great, oh, in fact, really quick, I just want to thank all the fans that came out to see The Circle. We just finished our, uh, this leg of the tour. We uh, came home on the, on the 9th. And, uh, man, what a great, great shows. We played a lot of people, and uh, we had just a great time. But uh, the reason that w- the circle's taking a break right now is that if things would have worked out as they were starting to go or as planned, I we pro- we would have been in uh, pre-production rehearsals with Van Halen right now. Wow! So it was because that. Sam, it I'm was. Sure everybody, I'm sure you know that you know everybody. Sammy had made a statement saying that yeah. uh, you know if if uh, I was offered and you know. And I, I actually, I, you know, I can tell you, I did, I did, I spoke with Irving Azoff last October. That's when I first heard from him, and he asked if I would be interested in in any kind of a reunion. And I told him, I said, yeah. I was finishing up a couple shows with Sammy, and I said, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you guys have going on. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I got these few d- dates left, and then give me a call. And uh, I never heard a call back. And then uh, right after the first of the year. Uh, I got uh, in, or, uh, David Lee Roths, Dave's uh, business manager, some a lawyer, something got a hold of me about a meeting or something. And so at that point, I just I, I, I gave it over to our manager because I you know I didn't want to start getting this in in this this whole thing. I wanted to do it the correct way, especially right. after the way things went for me in 2004. Right. And we won't get into that. That, but but. Uh, you know, from what I had heard, and I hadn't spoken to any of the guys, that, you know, they were going to try to plan a thing for this summer. And uh, for whatever reason, I mean, I was never, my my people were never, they never got in touch with us about any kind of a contract or any kind of a, you know, meeting to discuss or whatever. And the next thing I knew that uh, the plug got pulled on it. Well, the the one thing I've heard, and again, I have no, no, I don't know those guys, so I have no contact with them. But the one thing I heard, which I hope is absolutely not true, is that one of the reasons why it got pulled is that maybe Eddie's having some health issues again. And I, I truly hope that that's not the case. But that was some of the things that I had heard floated out there. So let's hope. Right. Let's and hope also, that's not know, I mean, the I've, case. I've, I've, I've probably heard the same rumors that you've heard. You know, floating around through different people and a couple people in the industry. But it's like you know, you can't. As you know, you can't believe really what you hear. You know, right. you hear it from the horse's mouth or a totally reliable source. But uh, yeah, I heard those rumors too. But uh, that's about all I know as far as that goes, either. Oh, that's interesting. So you're off right now because you thought you'd be rehearse- rehearsing and getting ready to uh, for a Van Halen when tour. We plan, when we planned the Circle tour, uh, we moved all our dates to early spring and before the summer to. Uh, 
Sammy and the guys were gracious to do that for me and make clear out a big uh, chunk of uh, time. So if this did happen, that I could go and do it. Well, I mean, it got that close. So, uh, that That's good to know it got that close, but let's hope that somehow it can circle back around and, and you know, I mean. Yeah, it, who knows? I mean, I obviously I haven't uh, been in touch with her, my lawyers or my manager. Nobody's been in touch with their camp now. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to – we're going to continue on doing the circle thing. We uh, have more dates starting in uh, August. We got uh, a bunch of sporadic dates spread out all over the place. And – uh and then, of course, well, the big beach party, the high tide beach party, which I'll see you at yeah, coming up. Yeah, are you going to be back again for that? Eddie? Yeah, they got me out there hosting it uh, both days, actually. So right. a very, very eclectic mix of bands, too. It's going to be a fun couple of days. Yeah, it is. And if anybody w- wants to come attend and, and, and see Eddie with a bottle of Santo mezquila in his <laughs> mouth, it, it, it turns into quite a wild thing. <laughs> It is a great time, and what a great setting there on the beach in Huntington Beach to you know to have a have a great couple of days there, and uh, you know it doesn't start it doesn't it doesn't end too late, so you can still do stuff afterwards. It was really a great first one last year, and I'm sure this year now going to two days will be even bigger and better. Yeah, yeah, there were there were there were a few little glitches the last time. I think they ran out of food, they ran out of a lot of alcohol, stuff like that. But I think they're, they've got all that stuff corrected for this year. So anybody who went last year and might have been disappointed as far as any of that goes come on back because it's it's going to be happening this year and then if other, the other thing that happened last year because sammy said this to me himself he ran out of steam <laughs> he ran out of <laughs> he ran out of energy. Sammy's the energizer bunny, but he had said to me that by the time he was through that set, when you guys are out there for like two hours and all the different singers come, he goes, at the end of that thing, man, he goes, I was drained. I was gasping for air. He goes, I was there too long. He got there well, too early. That's a, good thing. That's a good thing you mentioned that to me, Eddie, because we'll make sure he takes a nice little nap before the show this time. <laughs> well, you we know, have, It's going to be great. There's, I know there's going to be a couple of people coming up. Uh, we've been talking uh, – Possibly uh, Richie Sambora coming up and, yep. and doing a bunch of jamming with him and, you know, a couple other people. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. And uh, if people missed it last year, get out there this year. It's a great time. It's going to be going down the 28th and 29th this year of September, the uh, Sammy Hagar's High Tide Beach Party and Car Show on the Beach in Huntington Beach, California. But most importantly here, I mean, that's great stuff on Van Halen, and I appreciate you sharing that. And every look, Michael, every literally every single day, somebody calls me or tweets me or emails me or a fan stops me. And every single day, at least once a day, I'm asked, what's going on with Van Halen? And I just I was like, I'd be lying if I told you I knew because I don't I know Wolfie went on. His mom's TV show, I guess his record is coming out soon, which I've maintained the whole time. The logical thing would be for Van Halen to tour with you and let his band open. That makes all the sense in the world. Sure, why not? Yeah. You know? Everybody's happy, and and it works for everybody. So now you guys, when, when the Van Halen talk was going on, it was just for shows. There wasn't talk about doing a record, right? No, this was just this was just uh, to to reunite to do some shows. Uh, you know, who knows if that would have been just the first step, or you know, just uh, just to see what happens or what. But uh, I mean, it was a start anyway, I guess. Yeah, they tried to kickstart it. Yeah, and uh, and before I let you go, the hot sauce humming along, everything going well on that front. 
Everything's going great with the hot sauce, Eddie, but you know what? I heard some really distressing news from some people. I guess that I think they talked to you, I don't know if it was last year at the beach party or whatever. They said that you weren't really too keen on the mustard. I don't love now, I, is that true, if, Eddie? if I'm Did being that? if I'm being honest, I love the hot sauce. I like the mustard. Okay, because one of those people that told me was my brother Dennis, who said he spoke with you. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't I don't dislike the mustard at all, but I like a um I like a more brown sort of like um I don't know, like a Goulden's thicker sort of mustard and this right, your mustard is a border between thing. that and like a yellow mustard. Yeah, you East Coast guys like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. This was this was based off of yellow mustard, but I'll I'll get y'all sauced up when you come into town, Eddie. We'll send you home with a bunch of cases of that too. I I rock the shirt proudly when I can, and I've told people all the time, and I'm not saying there's a lot of people that have these sort of uh, you know these sort of boutique hot sauces and throw their name uh-huh. on it. The Matt Anthony Cafe hot sauce that is the one that is my favorite one. That and even the extra hot. I do like the extra hot on that, too. You're still making that? Yeah, we are making that. And actually, now, for all of you guys that are kind of wimps out there, (laughs) we're we're getting samples done right now of a mild sauce. That will be even milder than the regular hot sauce. So it's more like restaurant-friendly, you know, for people that, you know, eat the the tapatio or whatever the – stuff is that most restaurants carry <laughs> and we're and we're in talks with a couple of major uh food chains right now grocery chains so uh it's that's it's looking like it, it could really uh blow up into something i don't know what <laughs> no but it's fun it's fun man it's good stuff it really is but i don't even think the regular hot is that hot so yeah you can't people really got to be wimping out to go the other way but i get it you know my mom's like that the slightest little thing she's her tongue's burning on the other way so yeah. I know people. I know people that eat ketchup, and they go, "Ooh, man, that's hot." <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, buddy. It's always great to talk to you. All the best to your family. Best of luck with this walk this weekend. Again, everybody, go to Thank you uh, very much, Eddie. go to Matt Anthony's Cafe on Facebook or on Michael's Instagram, which is it all? Is it? I follow you on Instagram. Yeah, is it just? In, there's a link. In, there's a link right there in my bio on my Instagram, which is Matt Anthony Baseman. There you go. So go to those two places, donate if you can, and help out the walk in Rex's name. And buy Sammy Hagar in the Circle, the new album, Space Between. It's killer. And um, I'll see you soon, buddy. I appreciate some time, okay? I'll see you out there. You know, I'll see you out there in some band. I'll be in some band out there. We'll get together. Well, look, I love what you do with Sammy. You know that. And I love Chicken Foot. But on behalf of every rock fan on the planet, God willing, please, we need to see you back in Van Halen and that band doing something. Let's hope and pray that that happens. We'll, uh, and I know you'll keep us posted, so thank you. I will, Eddie. I, you'll be the first to know. Or, or maybe if, if you find out something before <laughs> me, you call me. It's, uh, it may go that way at this point. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, take care of yourself, bud. Thank you so much. Okay, Eddie. All right, man. Take I'll care, see you. Man. Talk B- to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, my thanks to Michael Anthony on uh, a great, great bit of news there and some great, great just dirt, if you will, about, you know, the always clandestine world of Van Halen. So what that tells us is there's confirmation that they had approached Michael Anthony about coming back to the band. They were supposed to be rehearsing right now. They were going to tour this year. And now that is all called off again for reasons we do not know and Michael does not know. But Michael is such a transparent guy. Like I said, he always gives me such great content. 
And I greatly appreciate him sharing that with us. It made world news uh, when that uh, that bit of information came out over the airwaves. All right. We'll get right back with a second interview for you with Joe Satriani next. Prepare to get stunned. The Steve Austin Show is back and better than ever. And I've been kicking his ass, kicked out of the pile driver. You, it's time to go home. With new exciting episodes featuring tales from his new life, unbelievable past interviews, and talks to pro wrestling pals, you name it, Steve's on it. You're a hell of a damn wrestler. Download new episodes of The Steve Austin Show every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Eddie Trunk back with you. So Joe Satriani decided to release some music from a band he had very early on in his career called Squares. We talk about that, his reasons for doing it, and a bunch of other stuff, too. Here's Satch on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. How are you, Joe? I'm good, Eddie. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? Good, good, good. Um, no chicken foot reunion, right? Well, not that I know of. I, I did get a text from Sammy this morning, and uh, he volunteered uh, to sing lead vocals for the Squares if we would put together a tour like circle and squares because he thought it just sounded interesting <laughs> <laughs> all right well that well let's get right to it then this the is it the is it the squares or squares i have no idea i think <laughs> that uh you know going back to uh probably early 1980 in our barn of a rehearsal place in in the flats of uh, berkeley california um, I remember having a big chalkboard, and we had all the names that we could have used as band names. And uh, for weeks, I think there were debates on whether we were the squares or squares. And we figured we'd be like eagles, which everybody calls the eagles. We would just call ourselves squares, but knowing that everyone would call us the squares, it didn't matter. So. Well- well, before before we get to the semantics of the name, we should probably fill people fill people in exactly on what the deal is with this band because this is a band that you had very early on. What was the time frame that that the Squares existed in? Uh, we met for the very first time in late '79. Um, we actually played together for the very first time in Jeff Campitelli's parents' garage in. Danville, California, I think, because we had no other place to play. And I had just introduced myself to Jeff, who was just out of high school, and Andy, who had just moved into the area from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, My brother-in-law, Neil Sheehan, and I saw them play at a club, invited them to this project that we had dreamed up for a power pop trio. And um, so uh, that was the beginning of it. We didn't really get down to it until the very beginning of of 1980 and that's when we started the work of you know sort of inventing who we were going to be what styles we're going to uh, draw from and uh you know how we were going to become the band of our dreams you know um and we we played and uh rehearsed like crazy for a good four years i mean it was really a lot of fun and hard work but that's who we were jeff campitelli on drums which everybody knows from all my solo records and tours. Andy Milton, who was uh, new on the scene at the time, he was singing lead vocals, playing bass. Uh, I played guitars and sang mostly background vocals, but uh, you know maybe 
quarter of the song uh, songs, I would do some lead vocals. Um, the fourth member that nobody ever saw was my then brother-in-law, Neil Sheehan, who was the manager and who uh, wrote 99% of the lyrics for the songs. So how long were you in California at that time when this band came together? When when did you, you know, you, you relocated there what year? Uh, let's see. I kind of drifted out there um, after, uh, let's see, what year was that? 70, uh, early 76, I think. Um, or, uh, yeah, early 76, I think. I kind of drifted out there to Berkeley to join uh, my two older sisters uh, just to sort of get away from what I'd been doing, which was touring with a disco band, if you can believe that, on the East Coast. And um, and then I wound up moving to Japan for about six months and then sort of drifted back. So I'd say by 77, uh, I decided I was going to sort of stay in Berkeley, California. It was about as different from, you know, Westbury, Long Island as you could get. And, and uh, I, I kind of found a freedom there to start thinking about what I wanted to do. Uh, coincidentally, my brother-in-law um, was out there as well, and he wanted to just sort of create some music. So I have to give you some background on that. You know, I've known him since I was 10 years old. That's when he started dating one of my older sisters. And uh, as I became a young musician, he started to include me in some of his songwriting. And so we had this sort of uh, unusual musical history all the way out to uh, this late 70s period where we had tried writing a musical and we wrote some songs for uh, different bands that we tried to place. None of it ever really clicked. Um, but then we got the idea to do the band. So in 77 through 79, we really start thinking about uh, doing this for real. And uh, um, just about the same time, I guess 78, I started teaching at Secondhand Guitars in Berkeley. So it all started to uh, you know, take root in Berkeley, California, right at the end of the 70s. Yeah, I guess where I was going with that is I was just curious how much you had done musically before this band, so it wouldn't be accurate to call this really your first band, but would this have been your first band of original music? Because you said you were doing disco, which I imagine was covers at the time. So was this the first thing where you were doing originals? Yeah, I mean, really. You know, high school, I started playing out uh, and started learning how to play when I was 14, so but that would have been uh, bands like, uh, if you can believe it, Mephistopheles. That was our first band name. And then <laughs> we became a band called Tarsus. We always did originals, but we did mainly, you know, Zeppelin, Sabbath, T-Rex, Bowie, Stones, that kind of stuff. And uh, when I started really trying to figure out how to make a living as a musician, uh, on the East Coast at the time, uh, before they really called it disco, I think they called it progressive dance music, uh, you could actually make a better living playing uh, in bands like that, large, you know, seven-piece bands. And so I was in a band called Justice, and we, you know, toured around the East Coast. And uh, but I kind of burnt out on that really quick, and and it wasn't my scene, but it was a cool thing to to do to to learn how to be a professional. Um, but I drifted across to the West Coast because my older sisters, who were professional artists, had landed here and said, "Oh, this is much cooler than." Westbury, Long Island, for, you know, the artistic-minded uh, person. So um, that's how I wound up out there. And you're right, the Squares wound up being the, the first band where I was not just a teenager, um, you know, playing whatever. Uh, this is something we really thought about, and we had designs on getting a major record deal, which, unfortunately,
unfortunately never happened, but that was our goal. Well, take me through that, if you will, because how far how far along and how close did you get to that? I mean, were you guys gigging around the Bay Area with this and searching for, like anybody at that time, trying to get a deal, trying to get to the next level? How close did it get, and, and how much time did you put in on that? Well, we got <laughs> – it's funny the way you put it, uh, Eddie. We got really close, which is to say we were about as far away as, as you could get, you know? <laughs> you either get the deal or you don't, right? Right. So – um, we had uh, some really good relationships with uh, people who kept turning us down, if, if I can categorize it like that. The most unusual would be uh, Carter, John Carter, who wound up being one of Chickenfoot's uh, managers, uh, along with uh, my manager, Mick Brigden. And uh, Carter was uh, Sam's personal manager at the time. And he produced uh, a lot of Sammy's early records, too. Yeah, Carter was a fantastic human being. He was just fantastic. But he, the funny story is is that he was the he was like our nemesis. Like we had we would we were selling out clubs in the San Francisco Bay Area and we really thought well we got to go to LA now and play some clubs and we just had the worst time fitting in down there. It was even harder than fitting in up here and we would do these, you know, showcase type club gigs and we would invite Carter cuz he was the guy we were really wanted to get a deal through Carter at Capitol Records, and he just would turn us down each time. And so over the years, I kept thinking, Carter, one of these days I'm going to meet this guy named Carter, <laughs> and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind, you know. And so there we are uh, when Chickenfoot got started, and here's this sweet guy saying, oh, hi, Joe, I'm Carter, you know. And I'm like, you're Carter. <laughs> and we had a good laugh about that, and and we never let each other forget about it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we tried really hard. I mean, we, we rehearsed every day that we weren't doing gigs. We mostly, you know, did clubs like, uh, Keystone Berkeley, Keystone Palo Alto, the stone in San Francisco, Berkeley square, uh, the palms in San Francisco. We would venture out to, you know, down into the peninsula or out to Sacramento, but mainly that was our circuit. And, uh, we, we just never could like punch through. Uh, during that period. And, and as you know, that period from 80 to uh, late 84, there was so much going on in almost every genre of music. There were just great bands popping up and taking the world by storm. And uh, it, it was a you know, a very intense period musically. It was very exciting. Uh, we just never found our niche. So why now? Why in 2019, 30, 35 years after this band disbanded, did you decide would be a good time and a fun time to expose this part of your history and let people hear it? Because it's, it's a pretty cool mix of a lot of things. There's some progressive elements. There's new wave elements. It's rock. It's pop. It's a little of everything. So it's cool. But what I was saying before you came on the air with me is that a lot of artists who have bands or things like this in their past who have gone on to have great success doing something else like you obviously have a lot of them want to suppress this uh, maybe like you know some old record company rears up and wants to put it out with a big sticker saying featuring joe satriani and they poo poo it or they don't want it out you've obviously embraced it you want it out there you're you're here today talking about it you're you're clearly proud of this part of your past but why now why did you decide you wanted to to get the word out on this uh, that's a great question. I, 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 you know, like off the top of my head, I have to say, I bet it was just 
purely emotional um, that it just became the right time. Um, I mean, you know, the the people should know that you know the that Jeff and I and John Kuhnberry and I, who, and John, by the way, was our live sound engineer and did all the recording and the de facto producing of these uh, recordings all through that period. So we've been working together as uh, bandmates, uh, project mates since uh, late 79, early 80. And every time we get together to do another record, of course we're going to start talking about the squares. You know? <laughs> um, and when we were touring in the, the uh, earlier days, uh, of course we'd meet up with Andy, who was still alive back then, and uh, of course, we get together and talk about the good old days and say we should do something. We should do something. But I think what stopped us most of the time was that we didn't feel uh, uh, that it was we were ready to let people, you know, hear wh- where we had failed, so to speak. You know, um, we were still thinking we were trying to get established. We're trying to get this new thing we're doing, you know, going. Um, I think Andy, of course, uh, who didn't wasn't involved in any high-profile uh, project, was was dying to get this stuff out. Uh, but Jeff and I were on another trajectory, and you know, and John Cunabretti as well. We were all doing other things. Um, and then there's the technical aspect, which is, you know, we're talking about recordings that were made on analog tape. Um, these things didn't have click tracks. You know, uh, this was all totally organic and raw and not all of the tapes survived and uh different technology over you know each decade would would pop up that would make retrieving this kind of information uh more successful um and John started to get really good at it i think after uh John did the the chrome head project for me and did my whole catalog we had started to really learn how to retrieve of this music off of old tapes uh, in the most successful way. And it involves, you know, putting tapes in ovens and uh, letting them cook for a day. You know, I mean, it's crazy stuff. And then playing it, playing the tape once with your fingers crossed while you transfer to 96K uh, Pro Tools session files. And hopefully you don't have to run the tape again because it may not, it may fall apart right on the machine. So um, John was in charge of, uh, uh, you know, transferring this material and this time around he had some better tools to do it with and that together with the thought that just one day I just called him up I said I think I'm ready for this you know and uh, so he and I basically just sort of made this thing happen how far do you want to go with this Joe I mean is there I mean you're going to put it out you're going to you know, you're working at your radio a little bit, uh, doing interviews about it. Do, do you want to do shows again? Do you want? Do you feel there's like sort of unfinished business here? Where, where's this going to go? Oh, <laughs> I don't think there's a chance of doing shows. Really, uh, I, I think it would be, uh, you know, uh, too emotional to try to go up there and play without Andy. You know, we lost Andy in, in 1999, and I think this was more of a labor of love to to uh, pay him the respect and give him his due and let people see just uh, how much charisma and talent he had and what we were up to. I think it's just for fun in in a lot of ways. You know, music should be fun. Um, it sh- We shouldn't have to attach a lot of music business expectations to it to put it out. That's, that's the wonderful thing about uh, 
the global musical community now with the help of the internet you don't you know you can really tell everybody about something at once and you don't have to you know go through the industry machinations just to try to attach business to it um however <laughs> it does cost money to do these things and and we're so happy that uh your music uh jumped on this and and wanted to uh you know give it a shot um, I, I tell you, the crazy idea that I had was um, as I was trying to, as I approached my son, it's easy to do these uh, videos for us. I said, you know, what I'd really like to do is a song like I Love How You Love Me and find uh, a young band, uh, like a trio of kids who were like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, and um, and have them do the songs, and um, or at least do one of them, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, and have a video. That's all about the, you know, the fun that that we tried to generate back then, and uh, and and I think now every once in a while that would be the f- most fun thing to do was to have is to have uh, new people try to represent the material rather than us because we've been around working on the material for 40 years. It's just too long, you know what I mean? I think we have so much perspective. We've got too much perspective. Besides the fact that. That I don't think we can do it without Andy. He was, you know, each one of us was a quirky part. You know, we didn't really fit together, uh, and and you know, Andy didn't like what I liked, and Jeff didn't like what Andy liked, and you know, we just we were a bunch of misfits in a way. Um, but when we got together, that sort of uh, stylistic tug of war created this unusual mix of styles. Yeah, the uh, the video that you mentioned that your son did is for So Used Up. That's out now. I love how you love me kind of like just in that title almost sounds like a sequel to I Want You to Want Me. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> sounds like something Cheap Trick could have done a number on for sure. Um, uh, we were a big fan of what they were doing back then. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny you should say that because I sent when we did the first mixes, I sent them out. Uh, to to Rick to Rick Nielsen because I thought oh he'd get it he could see that what we were trying to do and stealing as much as we could from everything we thought was so cool about them and uh, uh, I think he had some very funny comment about it that uh, that I I think I wrote down somewhere that it's, it'll be a mantra I'll repeat <laughs> <laughs> you know something like oh there might be something there you know so, something that we heard a lot from guys like Carter back in the old days. But, you know, I Love How You Love Me is certainly an old song that was even before my time, you know. Andy walked in with that one day at a rehearsal, and and Jeff and I were like, what? Like, we're not playing that song. And we finally said, well, we'll play it if we can do it like this. And one day in the studio, we did it as a joke because it used to be just an encore song. And it got recorded beautifully by John Cunaberti, and, and so there it is. But I think it represents what we sounded like as a trio probably better than any any of the other tracks which have you know an extra rhythm guitar here and there or something like that um but uh yeah so zizzy did two videos for us but of course he could only as a source material he only had photographs um from about a three and a half year period to draw from so he had to do a lot of his own artwork uh to uh, you know to make the song come alive on the screen Joe, you know what the the band reminds me of a little bit too when I listen to it. It's because I love power pop. It's uh, it's kind of in the vein of the knack a little bit as well. Yeah, I think um, we borrowed from uh, the, all the bands that we thought were 
sort of pushing uh, the envelope at the time in the way that we wanted to, you know. Uh, as I said before, we were we were all really different. You know, I came from a very guitar-oriented style of music. I was really, you know, I would walk in with uh, Van Halen records and, uh, and and Sabbath records, and I'd say, well, we should try to, you know, you know, sort of echo some of these things that I really like. And uh, of course, that was the total opposite of, of what Jeff, where Jeff and Andy were going, you know. Um, but uh, bands like the Knack uh, were sort of distilling, you know, all that went before them in the same way and just coming up with a, a fresher way of doing it. We wanted really good choruses. Uh, we wanted great song structure. We, did, we didn't go for long solos, the guitars, you know, at least for the live performance. You know, there weren't any pedals on the ground and no whammy bar. And, and uh, you know, there weren't any long solo sections uh, no one really promoted themselves in the band as the superstar. We tried to be uh, a power trio that presented ourselves as three equal players, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to listen to. How much – now, there's three songs that were sent to me. Is this – is there enough for a full record, or what What exactly are people listening going to be able to buy on this? Oh, yeah, it's an 11-song album. It is definitely – the best of what we did uh, over a period of almost four years of work, probably a little bit less than that. Uh, we didn't have all that much money, so we couldn't always, uh, you know, get into a professional studio and spend enough time, you know, to create, let's say, you know, four albums worth of material, given the time we were together. So, uh, you know, we would save up and we would, you know, uh, spend the money on trying to do four songs, let's say, that would turn into a tape that we would shop you know down in la or new york and uh at the time uh so yeah this is 11 songs and it spans uh from the very first one uh set of recordings we did in 1980 and then i think to the end of 83 um uh and i'm i'm trying to guess which one that is probably so used up and you can light the way uh maybe never let let it get you down i think that was perhaps the last one that was an eight-track session actually in a warehouse um so uh, it's all put together like it's an album, and, and I think this is a, an important part of what got us going on this project in the first place. You asked me about this in, in the first hour. When I called uh, John Kunibert, uh last year about uh, you know doing this record finally, I said, what if we did it like the band is a brand new band? How would we pick the songs? How would we produce the record? How would we mix it if the band was a bunch of 20-year-olds that were just about to come on the scene? And they just happened to be a retro 80s power pop thing. And just that little nugget uh, sort of set us off in the right path and it, and allowed us to pick the songs from our you know 30-song uh, catalog and focus on them uh, so that it would present itself as a really interesting album. And it really helped, just that sort of, uh, you know, that focus on making believe the band was a brand new band helped us pick this record. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an 11-song album. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wild if this, after, after nearly 40 years and all that, like, that would just be typical for the music industry today that you have a hit single, like, on the pop charts, like, you know, a bunch of teenagers <laughs> dancing around to So Used Up, and there, you know, there's, like, that, I'm, that nothing, where we are at today with the music industry, Joe, and I'm sure you agree with this, nothing would surprise me anymore. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> oh, that's a great idea. I mean, it would be so funny. I can't imagine me the way I, I look today as a mature gentleman playing some of these songs. Uh, but um, well, you had yeah, killer I mean, hair, Joe. You had killer hair back there. <laughs> Do you miss that hair, Joe? No, it was such a problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, it never worked. You know, I think it was it was a blessing when it finally all fell out. It was just like, okay, I'm done with that, you know. <laughs> well, I think you've made both looks work, work pretty well, actually. Um, and the last thing on the squares, which, again, is the band that we're talking about, is when you, you know, I, I, I'm looking at some of the bio information that was sent to me, and on it you've got a lot of, uh, guitar players that you've worked with or toured with some of the greats, you know, and whether it be Paul Gilbert or, or Phil Collin or Steve Vai or John Petrucci, a lot of these guys with their commentary about this and, you know, all saying you could hear the seeds of what would become, you know, Joe Satriani as a solo artist. When you listen back to this, and you listen to your guitar playing in this. What, what? How do you feel about it? Like, where do you feel you were at as a player at that time? And what are your thoughts hearing yourself back from nearly forty years ago? It's it's crazy, you know. I mean, t sometimes I don't recognize, you know, myself in in uh, some of those recordings, uh, mainly because I, I question what was I thinking. I mean, we all do that as artists, even if it's the most recent record, you know, that you did, you just finished the week before. You wonder why you were so focused on one particular uh, creative element and, um, and, and you know, why you, why you had to hear it on a particular song. So I, I'm reminded when I listen to this, uh, this album that I was uh, a, a firm believer at the time that I should really dial it back in terms of all the stuff that I could play that I need to edit. I needed to edit myself down, not to do all the shredding that I was certainly capable of doing, but to really try to stay more focused uh, into the material that we were doing and, and not to overplay. And, and I think um, we mentioned before the song, I Love How You Love Me, that was a cover song. And I definitely, in a way, overplayed for the band on that song. But that was our encore song. That was sort of like a relief when... I was allowed to shred, so to speak, you know. Um, but uh, I think when I go back and I listen to it, I go, well, that's really interesting. That's me, like, really choking down, <laughs> you know, setting the choke on the engine, like, really radical to make sure that I wouldn't play too many notes and uh, and wouldn't try to, to do what I thought some of my, my favorite heroes at the time and, and, uh, and further back were doing, you know. Like, I grew up playing... Uh, you know Hendrix and and Page and Iommi and and they were my heroes. And then, uh, like I said before, I'd be bringing in Van Halen records to rehearsals, saying, "Listen to this, it's so cool," you know. And uh, but you know the mood at the time was, you know, we don't do that. You know that's not our scene. Uh, but um, so it's funny when I hear that because I I made such a radical shift, didn't I? Right after the band, I I finally said, "I'm just going to play what I can play." And and to tell you the truth, I think that came from one night. Uh, Steve I was in town. I think he was playing with David Lee Roth, at maybe recording it at Fantasy. And he he stopped in a rehearsal, and he just sat there all night and listened to his play. And I think at one point he said to me, "Why don't you play all the stuff you can play?" He was just sort of impressed with the whole band sound, but wondered why I had dialed it back so much. And I think it's probably planted a seed in my head, you know, and, uh, and, and later on gave me the, the, the excuse to just start 
playing all that I could play, you know. Right, because from the squares, that's you transitioned into. The, you didn't do anything between becoming a solo instrumental artist and the squares, right? That, that when the squares well, broke I, up, I, I, you know, I joined. That's a whole other hour <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> all right, that weird transition where uh, you know I started a record company, put out two records, joined the Greg Kin Band for a year, and then at the end of '86. Uh, relativity put out and out of this earth and i started recording surfing with the alien it was a strange you know period from eight from late 84 to late 86 but that two-year period really was life-changing with chicken foot with chicken foot being more or less dormant at least for now do you miss being in a band is there a side of you i mean i know you have your own band but you are you know you're billed as joe satriani you have built a huge solo career i know you go out with other musicians whether it be g3 or experience hendrix but is there a side of you that would like to i know you were in deep purple for a brief time but there's a side of you now that you know even revisiting the squares that makes you kind of feel like I Man, it would be great to get a bunch of guys together and actually be a, a band again. Is there any side of you that wants to do that again? Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, that's always there. I think uh, there's nothing uh, quite like the fun of just being in a band with a bunch of other really intense artists and personalities, and just you know uh, that that sort of uh, electricity that's in the room when you start to work on music and you know it's going to be good. Uh, you know that's that collaborative uh thing is just like it can't be replaced by anything else you know so yeah i i'm you know i'm always bugging sam to call uh you know to call mike and chad and get the thing to happen you know and uh later this year i'll i'll get together with uh, doug pinnick and uh kenny aronoff and we're going to see if we can come up with something original we had such a great time on the experience hendrix tour and, and we're doing another tour um in in October on the West Coast, uh, but we're gonna, you know, we've thought we shouldn't, you know, ignore this this chemistry that we have together. Maybe we can come up with something that's completely different. You know, I was so. gonna ask you about that actually because I, the last time I saw you not long ago was in New Jersey when I went to Experience Hendrix and you closed that show all those brilliant players and stuff, and then you came out at the end with that tr- unbelievable trio yourself, Doug Pinnock and Kenny Aronoff and, and just killed. And it was just so, so great and so cool. And I, I, you know, my gears were turning watching the three of you guys and say, man, what a, what a killer trio this would be if, if they kind of wanted to run with this a little bit. So it sounds like you're going to test the waters a little there, huh? We are. Um, I, I think the trick is how do we not sound like the bands uh, that, you know, we're coming from, which you know, which was exactly the um, the the thing that Chickenfoot had to deal with. You know, we we you know when we got together the very first time, we said, okay, we're not going to do Chili Peppers and Van Halen and you know Surfing with the Alien. We just we can't. We just have to see what happens naturally when we play together, and and uh, uh, that that became the thing that really made the band a success. So I think all of us have talked about that, and we agree we. We, you know, we can't do the King's X meets Summer Song, you know, meets Kenny playing with all the millions of people he's played with. We're going to have to come up with something totally original. So, but the only way to do that is to get in a room again and just see what happens. You know, Joe, I got an idea. You know, I'm full of ideas. I got an idea. It just hit me. Okay, you, you, Doug, and Kenny. But when you play live, you play all the Squares album. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, the sad thing about it is that I can't hit those high G's anymore. You know, I, during the time of the squares, I was taking vocal lessons uh, from uh, from uh, what, uh, what was her name uh, from uh, Mrs. Spent. Oh, I can't remember her first name now. Don Spent was a drummer in the Rubenus, and they just had the most amazing vocal blend ever. They were super pop uh, and local to the Bay Area scene. And uh, was it was it Claudia Spent? Was that her name? Um, I took lessons from her every week for years to try to get myself to to sing well, well enough to to you know sing next to a real singer. And uh, I got good at hitting the notes. I'm well trained. I'm not a singer. You know, you, you're either a singer or you're not. But um, my range is just once I stopped the lessons and I stopped singing regularly. Uh, you know, I must have dropped four notes easily. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, it's uh, that's so hard, you know. I mean, it's singing those. We sang too high, I think, you know. <laughs> Not as high as Sammy. I mean, some of those Van Halen tracks, he's really singing high. Oh, but yeah. He's a real thing. That's yeah. A, that's the big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. And so give give us uh, the rundown for the rest of the year for you. You're going to do another run with Experience Hendrix, right? Yeah, actually, uh, if I look at my calendar, it says uh, I'm getting together with Steve Vai at his uh, Vai Academy in Glen Cove at the end of July uh, for a couple of days of fun. Um, then I'm heading uh, uh, down south here to the L.A. area to start recording uh, with uh, Chris Cheney on bass and Kenny Aronoff on drums uh, some for a new solo album. Uh, then uh, And also right before that, getting together with, with Doug and Kenny for some writing. And then Doug... Kenny and myself get together again for the Experience Hendrix October run on the West Coast. And um, then I'm sort of back in the studio um, in November and December finishing the solo record. And uh, that that should be enough. I should just stick to that right now. I, I spent the last couple of weeks doing a lot of painting, a lot of artwork for the Scene 4 guys for some work that's coming out. And so it's, it's been extremely fun but very, very busy um, right now. Um, but I think by uh, January of 2020, there'll be a lot of new music and a lot of new things to to show people. When are, are you in L.A. in July? Uh, not until, no, actually not. I'm okay. In New York, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I, the reason why I ask is I do these monthly broadcasts from the Rainbow where we, we take over the patio. We do a big live uh, show from out there, live on the radio. Sammy was just on with the whole band, and we've got a whole bunch of guys. So definitely I'll coordinate uh, with Mick or something to find out when you're going to be based out there a little bit because maybe we could grab you for an hour and come by and have some fun with a live audience. It would be a good time. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. That's so cool. And the last thing I want to ask you, speaking of experience, Hendrix, you know, Dave Mustaine was, was part of that. I got to see him do his thing and of course it just came out the other day that dave is now battling throat cancer being on the road with him on that tour were were you aware of that did, did he disclose that to you guys that he was sick at the time or did he not know no it was great to get to know him um we hung, hung out with him every day um i didn't know him at all before the tour so oh. it was, uh, it was, uh, a special experience for me to get to to know him to listen to him play and just he's just a very unique individual a really cool guy um and we spent most of the time talking about you know guitars and beer and stuff like that <laughs> but uh you know i just actually sent him a note today uh, uh to uh you know wish him well with his uh, recovery um that's pretty shocking uh but you know he is 
like one of the toughest guys you'll ever meet. Yep. I don't think for a second that um, he's worried. He meets everything head on, you know. Yeah, the the one thing that I, in retrospect, with the experience, experience Hendricks tour that I think of with him is after I watched him play his set, I was talking to him a little bit and I said, Dave, you know, the only thing I was kind of bummed out about is I wish you would have sung. I said, nothing against who you had singing, but you know, he sings every song in Megadeth. I was like, it really would have been cool to hear that Dave Mustaine snarl on some of the Hendrix tunes. I said, you, I wish you would have done the singing. And, and he just kind of like, ah, and he kind of made an emotion like, you know, his throat and it didn't, nothing didn't strike me at all as anything at the time. And now with him disclosing this in retrospect, I wonder if at that time he was aware and was dealing with some stuff, which is why he chose not to sing as well as play. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, well, who knows, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's really his personal business. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's uh, extremely brave of him, you know, to come out and let people know what's actually going on. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, as an artist, I'm sure he doesn't want people thinking about that. You know, he just wants them to think about the music he's making. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he is an artist, you know, when you get down to it, he's an artist and he wants people to really think about his, his music and what he's doing. So, um, uh, but yeah, he's, a, he's a, a, a unique individual. He's got a lot to offer and I'm sure he's going to kick this uh, and, and uh, he's going to be back with more cool stuff. For us to enjoy. <laughs> yep, I agree. I agree completely. Well, Joe, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. And, uh, and, and good luck with the squares, even though <laughs> 40 years later, good luck taking another swing with this, but I, I think it's fun. And I think it's really cool that you're putting it out and the record is out. When, when can people get the full record? I think that, I think it's July 12th is the actual release date for the full album. And there are bits, maybe there's half of the album you can sample, uh, uh, on you know satrani.com all the way through all of our social sites and ear music and 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 whatnot so uh yeah there's a lot out there and zizi's got two of his videos out there uh one for so used up and one for give it up and zizi and, did uh, some great work on sammy hagar stuff too for the, with the circle i know sammy was telling me that he worked on those videos as well yeah just fantastic what what a crazy thing this is to think of the two two of them working together but um uh, I'm so happy that that happened, and uh, I think uh, Sammy's having a really great time, you know, with this this Circle record. So that's really cool. And uh, well, you're going to be talking to Mike, so you can get uh, the dirt on what's happening with with those guys. Yeah, I just had them all on last month from the Rainbow. We did a big thing, and then I hosted is the the sort of underplay that he did at the Troubadour to kick it all off. So they they definitely seem to be having a good time, and. Uh, We'll see what happens uh, going forward. You know, I think everybody's still hoping for a little, another little run there with Chickenfoot at some point. So hopefully, I mean, I know Sam, you know Sammy's got more energy than I do, and he's got almost twenty years on me. It's amazing. So he'll he'll be making music long after I'm gone. I'm sure. So I'm sure he's got some some left in the tank. <laughs> you know he does. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> he's an inspiration. It's crazy. Joe, thank you so much for the time. I hope to see you again soon. Okay. Oh, thank you so much. Always good to talk to you. Great to spend some time there with Joe Satriani and earlier Michael Anthony. Greatly appreciate their time and hope you guys enjoyed those interviews. Remember, follow me on Twitter where I'm most active at Eddie Trunk, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, all at Eddie Trunk, and eddietrunk.com is the official online home. I ran down all the appearances earlier in the podcast. Don't forget, you guys, really important. I just remembered this. Coming up this Sunday, July 7th, the premiere of Trunk Fest Season 2. 
my TV show on Access TV covering music festivals, an all-new season, all-new festivals and music events. It kicks off Sunday, July 7th, 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific on Access TV. That comes up as AXS on your grids. DVR it, watch it, much appreciated. Every Sunday night, 9.30 Eastern, Trunk Fest on Access TV, an all-new season kicking off this coming Sunday. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She's the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, and I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode, free as always, Apple Podcasts and PodcastOne.com. a crime no one expected and one many can't forget they were brutalized and we saw the evidence of that 22 hours an american nightmare a new podcast from wtop news and podcast one details the heinous murders of a dc power couple their 10 year old son and housekeeper inside their own home the complicated trail of evidence she thinks she knows how darren went got inside the house oh my god i saw amy yesterday and shocking moments from the trial his defense team drops a bombshell will this investigation lead to the release of confidential audio recordings from the case so it's under general counsel review i mean i'm committing to making a transparent court 22 hours an american nightmare subscribe on apple podcast today Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.